as I thought through what message to bring uh, for New Year's and approaching a new year, I also thought through our series as we've been going through Genesis and looking at the life of Abraham and how on multiple occasions as we've thought about Abraham, we've also been drawn to Psalm 37. And specifically, this verse, refrain from anger and forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Anger and fear go hand in hand. Anger rises because many times we're not getting what we think we need or deserve in order to feel safe or prosperous. And so because we fear, we have anger. We live in a society and in a world that feeds off of fear and anger. There's actually a news article last year that was titled, Does Social Media Leave You Feeling Angry? And then the title goes on, That Might Be Intentional. In the article, it actually states that algorithms consistently select content that evokes anger and outrage from its users in order to maximize engagement. Okay? So all all that the algorithms want is maximize engagement. And how do they maximize engagement? Fear. Anger. Boston Children's Digital Wellness Lab stated in one article that there is a growing body of evidence that today's constant flow of media messages can produce fear and anxiety in children. That shouldn't be a surprise. But fear and anger are on the rise even in our society. And so it shouldn't shouldn't surprise you that as we face a new year, I want to take a few moments to talk about both. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Now, this goes completely against the current of the world and how we as human beings naturally function. Yet, this is how we as Christians are to live. We are Christ followers, and Jesus was against the grain, so to speak, right? that he didn't go with the flow, he swam against the current. Yet I fear actually so many Christians unwittingly fall into the same ways of thinking and acting as the world. And Christians will go so far as to justify their anger and their fear. I mentioned this briefly last week in my sermon, I'll mention it again. We're entering into another election year, and I can see what's coming bombs being lobbed at others, accusations made even against other Christ followers, passions on high alert. And some Christians, even after the election, are going to feel like the world has come crashing down and everything's over. I have a couple of questions to ask you. Do you know that this world is under God's curse? Do you know that America's morality is defiantly against Christ? Uh, Do you know that Holland is neither the kingdom of Jesus nor is it even Mayberry? (laughs) Now, Mayberry, Andy Griffith show, if you don't know that, whatever, all right? 
Now, I know that these questions sound maybe a little stupid or simplistic. I'm not trying to uh, minimize. We all know these realities. And I'm not asking these questions to say, so then, therefore, we don't care. I understand the struggles. My heart can feel angry about the ways that people justify and support sin, whether ending children's lives or terrorizing bodies created in God's image in order to emphasize self at the expense of God's call or individuals who emphasize self at the expense of the needy. I also can fear I can feel fear at times. There have been times that I have even written things and posted them online and I've received angry pushback and all I've written was biblically historic Christian things and I've received immense pushback. And then I think, man, what might the future hold for Christians in America? When will the day come when... Maybe all Christians are actively persecuted and targeted. That, that doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy to think those thoughts. And so even as I say that, some people, maybe even here, might say, might say, okay, that's why we got to fight for ourselves. And then anger comes up. And I, I see it. I think I see it already. I mean, I can get on Instagram and I can scroll through reels and I can see where professing Christians or religious or moral people post videos and it seems like they have much more of a hostile stance than a refraining from anger stance. Uh, to, to, to use different terminology, it seems as though many people are posting things in order to simply have a mic drop moment. Meaning like, ha ha, I said it, you can't talk back, so there. Does that sound like refrain from anger? No. Does that sound like a person who actually is concerned about the eternal state of another individual? It doesn't sound like it to me. And even as I say this, I can imagine there could be people here saying, yeah, but Pastor Timothy, what about, and what about, and I get it. I'd love to say and think that too. But we're people of the word. And if we're people of the word, then we don't get to choose which aspects of the word we obey and which aspects we can disobey, right? Christians are to live think and act in ways completely different from the world because even as we have been reminded in Advent season, our Savior came and is coming again. His kingdom is coming someday and no more will sin or sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. We have hope. Therefore, this world this world that we live in, Christians, is a world that we're passing through. And our desire ought to be that other people might experience that world too. So let me ask you another question. 
or two other questions. Do you live your life in such a way that people would know you're living in light of eternity and Christ? In other words, do your fears and anger reveal you're more focused on this life than on Jesus? So, so you can ask, does it look like you're living for eternity in Christ, or do your fears and anger betray your trust? Take a moment to think about that. And actually, I'm going to ask you all just to take a moment to pray silently and ask the Lord to reveal to your own heart what you might need to hear today. So pray for a moment, and then I'll continue. If you haven't already turned in your Bibles to Psalm 37, go ahead there. Psalm 37 comes to us as a reality check. Where is our focus? Are we focused on the Lord or on this world? Is our hope in the here and now things that we can see or on our glorious relationship that is secured in the Lord? Verses 1 and 2 start by saying, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, if you are a person that is more prone to be given over to worry and anxiety, you hear these words and you say, <laughs> easier said than done. Or maybe you say, why not worry? The events in America are horrible. I'm anxious. And so you justify your anxiety because of the immensity of the circumstances that you're living in. But Psalm 37 and the Bible itself teaches us something. And this is the main idea today. The absence of fear and anger does not come because of the absence of problems. The absence of fear and anger comes when resting in the presence of the all-powerful, loving God. Did you hear that? The absence of fear and anger doesn't come because of the absence of problems, but it comes when resting in the presence of the all-powerful, loving God. You know, tonight, well, let me just ask you, how many of you are going to go to some New Year's Eve celebration tonight? Like, raise your hand. Yeah, come on. You know, I want to see. Others of you, you're like, no, I'm going to bed. Right? Yes, amen. All right. Midnight comes, we cheer, woohoo, happy new year. Why do we say that? As I've gotten older, I've become more tentative with the happy part. I'm just like, new year, what's going to happen, right? Because it was like one of my kids yesterday even said, why do we celebrate New Year's Eve? It's just another day. You know, right, right. And Jesus said, in this world, there's going to be what? See, see, a lot of times what we think is like, happy new year means new, new, new. Maybe all the problems are going to go away. No, they're not. They're not. I guarantee that this, this next year, we as a church, we're going to weep with people who are weeping. I guarantee you're going to go through new, different trials. You're going to face things that you 
maybe never even saw on the horizon. Well, thank you, Pastor Timothy. Now all of you tonight are just going to say, New Year. Okay. No, but, but here, this, what I want to add to this is, and in the midst of that and in the face of that, we still have hope as Christians, right? Because, because we have the loving, all-powerful God so that whether we experience new joys or new sorrows next year, we can glorify God in the midst of it all by his grace and learn more of him because we are children of the loving God. This psalm actually gives us hope. It begins with commands and then promises that evil is going to be punished someday. And it continues to move us to see the tender love of God so that we can actually live in this world. And so I want to take this main idea and I want to start with the second part. Resting in the all-powerful, living, uh, loving God. The psalm works its way to get us to an aspect of a conclusion. And we go to verses 23 through 24 that I want to highlight that says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The idea of verse 23 is that when you delight in the Lord, when you delight in the Lord, your way of life is secure. Even though this evil world, sinners, the brokenness of this world might look like it's destroying us, we're actually secure. God's ways always last, even in the most intense of storms. Why? Look at the illustration that David gives. The Lord upholds his hand. It's kind of like an illustration of a young child holding his father's hand. How many of you have ever held a child's hand while walking? Everybody, right? And if you're holding a child's hand while walking, you know, sometimes they trip. And if they trip and you're really holding their hand, you're not like, oh my goodness. You, you hold their hand and they kind of, you know, trip, but you got them. And then they, you know, recenter. The idea here that David is bringing up is the Lord holds your hand. Right? You, you trip and fall, but you will not be cast headlong, which means you will not fall and stay there. You won't. You can't. Why? Because the Lord upholds your hands. And I want to emphasize this word for Lord here. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see all caps, which is referring to the name of God, Yahweh, which is the term referring to the covenant-keeping God. Last week, the sermon was on love and the covenant love of God, his never stopping, never giving up, unceasing, always forever love. This word Lord here is saying this is the covenant God, the one who has set his love on you from eternity past into eternity future. This one holds your hand. And so what can people do to you even if you fall? You're not going to be cast headlong because he holds your hand. Now, why does this matter to know this? Because I tend to believe, I tend to think and wonder if, if Christians believe that this world is more powerful than God. 
You wouldn't say that, but you act like it. Fear grips you. Sometimes when I talk to people or even when I deal with myself and my own thinking about worry and talking about, don't worry, don't worry. And we tend to think, but I got to do something. I got to do something and I got to figure out what to do. You know what the first thing we ought to do is? The first thing is to rest in the Lord. That's the first thing. I got to act. I got to do. You got to rest and know you're a child. And the God overall owns everything and loves you. You got to rest. Rest in him. Otherwise, if you're not resting in him, you're doing whatever you are doing, you're doing in your own strength, which is not a faith. And apart from faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. This reminds me of the story, maybe many of you remember, where Moses is with the Israelites and God has called the Israelites to go battle the people and then they're so scared because the people are huge. No, we can't go. We can, no, no, we're not going to do it. And then what does God say? All right, I'm going to punish the people. And then what do the people say? All right, we'll go. We'll go. We'll go. We'll go into battle. And God says, you can go. I'm not going to go with you. No, we'll go. We'll go. And what is the whole point? The whole point of this is Israelites, you need God. If he, if he is going there, you need to go with him. If he's not going, you need to stay with him. Wherever God is, be with him. Rest in God. And that's the message we need to hear. Yes, we need to do something. We need to savor the Savior first. The all-powerful, loving God is holding our hand. This kind of reminds me of a scenario, conversation I recently had with at least some of my children, and they were telling me about someone, someone else who hated storms. And in the midst of that conversation, one of my kids said, I love storms. And I just, I just thought about that because I love storms too. Uh, growing up in Illinois, some of you who also grew up in Illinois, amazing thunderstorms, I still miss them. Others of you think I'm crazy because maybe you're scared of storms, I don't know. I love the lightning and the thunder. And when my kids were really young, I used to uh, say to them, that's God's power. Look at that. That is God's power. And God can do whatever he wants. And he loves you. That's amazing. And I wonder how that might have influenced my children's perspective on storms. Like my, I'm not, I'm dad, I'm not scared. And, and, and my kids take comfort in, in, dad or mom? Does, is this making sense? You know, not, not saying that if you love the storm, all your kids are going to love storms, but you just get the illustration here. The greater degree of what, what David is doing here is he is saying, God's not scared of your enemies. God actually is saying he's working his power over it all, and he's holding your hand in the midst of all of these things. He's not scared, so why should you be? Right? If God's not scared and he holds your hand and you will not be cast headlong, then why are you scared? Why are you given over to anxiety and anger? The Lord holds our hands. 
So let me ask you, are, are the sinful circumstances in America and in this world, are they beyond God's control? I heard two people. Are they? No, not at all. What if, what if the sin continues and gets worse? Does that mean God has let go of our hands? No. Christian, God holds us. He's the all-powerful one who loves you and me, and that should affect us. That should affect how we live in this world. That should affect how, how I would say, even how we feel in this life. The Apostle John, living in a hostile Roman government, commands his readers to love one another and to sacrifice for one another because that shows Christ. And you could say, but those Romans are crazy people. And they, they were. This is how John says you can live this way. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Whose love is he talking about? What, who's the perfect love? It's Jesus. It's God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have his perfect love, which should cast out all fear. All fear, because even if you die, you don't await condemnation, right? Death has now become a doorway into the eternal kingdom and into the presence of God. It has no power over you anymore. So, how often are you savoring the satisfaction that only Jesus can give? Do you realize that even if the fearful circumstances go away, you still need Jesus? Did you know that? You need to be reminded again and again, we need to be reminded again and again that he has conquered and he will conquer all evil. Jesus came to this earth and endured hatred from sinners and yet as he loved them, he took the punishment that they deserved so that they might be forgiven. And as we learned last week, this love was so expressed and fulfilled so that anyone who trusts in Jesus were called to live in the same way. We're called to love our enemies. Note, Jesus did not say we won't have enemies, right? Jesus says we are to love them, not be angry that our enemies don't submit to us, not live in fear or envy, but love. So we go back to these first two verses of Psalm 37. Fret not yourself and be not envious. What does that mean? Well, first, fret not yourself. Don't be anxious in the context of this whole psalm. Don't be anxious about what the evildoers in the world can do. Don't, don't, be, don't be anxious. Don't let anxiety fill you with it. Like when I hear some people that might be, oh no, <laughs> if this person is voted in, they'll do this or that to me or my kids. Maybe, maybe. 
but let's not live in fear. And then the phrase, and do not be envious. What does that mean? Envy is different than jealousy. Do you know that? Jealousy is I want what they have. Envy is not only do I want what they have, but they better not have it themselves. And so when I look at this psalm and I look at the context being envious of evildoers who seem to be succeeding, (laughs) it seems as though what David is saying is that he's saying, don't, don't want what they have, which is what? They, have, they seem to have success. They seem to have power. Other people are listening to them. They have control over people. And you know what? Many times when I look at this world, that, that seems to be what people are trying to do. That even seems to be what Christians are trying to do. Oh no, those evil people are getting the ear of other people. We got to make sure we get it. And so we're going to mic drop and fight in order to have the success that those other people have. That's envy. You hear that? Don't be envious of them. Because, because here's the thing. What does it matter if you beat them in an argument? What does it matter if you have the success? Remember Jesus' words? What does it matter if you gain the whole world? We won! And what? Lose your soul. You can win and lose eternally. Okay, then, how are we to live? Well, again, first, rest in the Lord. And if we're resting in the Lord, then I think verse 5 gives the overarching way of living. Look at verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Verse 6, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I read these verses because the focus of David is on the reality that everything rests on the Lord. This is King David, by the way. If anyone could do something, it'd be him, right? And yet he still acknowledges it all rests on the Lord. We are to always rest in the reality that the Lord is in control. You know, I think many times we're like, no, God, there's got to be something else. Or we think, God, that's not going to work. But we're called, as I said earlier, to be people of the word, which means we have to follow the word in everything that it says by the grace of the Spirit, right? Fret not. Don't resort to anger because it does tend only to evil. And we say, God, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. What if Jesus said to the Father, Father, that's not going to work, your plan. If I do that plan, then people are just going to continue in sin. They're going to abuse my kindness, and they're going to kill me. That's not going to work. What if Jesus said that, meant it, and followed through? there'd be no salvation, right? God's ways, and then then, as I said earlier, God called us to live in the same steps. Philippians 2, read it, have this mind. 
this mind of Christ who gave himself. God calls us to the same way, and it's so upside down to us, but it's actually right side up. To us, it feels wrong, and yet it's right. We're not to war like the world wars. We're to watch as the Spirit works through us to shine the light of Jesus, whether it's through martyrdom or through simply living faithfully day by day in Christ's love and grace. So I have a couple more questions that come to mind. Are you resting in Jesus or seeking to find rest in circumstances changing? You can rest now. Do you trust God is in control even as you obey his upside down ways? Now, as you answer these questions, if you answer them yes, then the following verses are going to make sense. King David shows us how we ought to live. So I want to read verses 2 through 4 and 7 through 11. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. These verses actually reveal that the problem of evil still remains. But it's not going to last forever. Yet clearly this psalm is written to people who are in the problems. As I think, as I think through these words, um, many of you know I've gone through various trials, difficulties, and, and when you're in the midst of lengthy ones, it's not always encouraging to hear, it's going to go away someday. Because if it's lasted for a long time already, you want to hear, it's going to go away today. Maybe I'll wait till tomorrow. But like, please, now. And yet, God's promise is someday. I mean, we, the verbiage here is soon. Evildoers will be cut off. Just in a little while, the wicked will be no more. Now, it says little while, but this is written from God's eternal perspective. And a little while to him is a long time for us. It's not a day, it's not a week, it's not a year, it's not decades, it's not even centuries, it's millennia. I mean, yes, in a generation, someone is only going to live so many years and they will die and be cut off. But we also await a day when Jesus is going to return and judge and there's no more evil, right? And even the New Testament authors, soon, soon it's going to be. And the idea of soon, like I said, I think it has the eternal perspective, but it also has a perspective of when it happens, we will look back and we will go, wow, that went so fast. Have you ever had circumstances like that? I mean, maybe even Christmas this year, you were waiting, 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 and it's done. That went by so fast. Did it really? Did it really go by so fast or did it feel like forever? But then after it happened, it went so fast. That's, that's kind of the idea of how the scriptures write about the soonness 
When it happens, boom, it happens, and whoa, that went by so fast. In the midst of this time that feels long but is going to be so soon (laughs) until the judgment, David tells us that the wicked will be punished and you need to be patient. Wait. Wait. Be still and wait before the Lord. Wait patiently for his judgment. Not the judgment you can exact, but his judgment. Wait. See, the absence of fear and anger doesn't, become, doesn't come because the absence of problems. There are problems, but since God is holding our hand and God is good and loving and in control, we can live for his glory in the here and now. So, so what does this look like? If you're saying, but I have to do something, we've already seen we must rest in the Lord, trust he is in control and not us, and then we see, trust in the Lord, do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. When we feel anger and anxiety, again, we often feel like we have to act now and what we have to do is rest now in the Lord. Our emotions and minds are sped up when we have anxiety and anger. And what David essentially says is, trust and obey. That sounds like a song. Wait, trust and obey for there's, what? No other way to be happy in Jesus, but to what? Trust and obey. Hmm. Interesting. What has God called me to do? What has God called you to do? Trust And if you're just obeying without the trust, you're not pleasing the Lord because it's apart from faith. Trust and obey. Trust that whatever he does is always right, good, and best. Trust God to grace you with the wisdom to know what you need to do in your spheres of life, your family, if you're married, your spouse, siblings, work. That, that's the idea of to dwell in the land. To dwell in the land is saying, I live here. This is where God has placed me. This is the world I'm in. And I'm called to be faithful in this world as a light for Christ's glory and to live out how God has freed me to live. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you always have super high feelings, but there is a settled satisfaction when you know God and you learn about him. So here's another question for you. Do you actually delight in the Lord? I'm asking you to ask yourself that question. Do you delight 
in the Lord. Not just what he can give you, not just what he can do, but in the Lord. There are many times that I'm sad. I am saddened when talking to people. And it's evident that they are more concerned about solving problems or doing the right thing than they are about delighting in the Lord. That concerns me because, again, what does it matter if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? What does it matter if you do all the right things but you don't know Jesus? Where Jesus even says that there will be a day in the judgment where people say, didn't we even cast out demons? Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? We cast out demons in your name. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. That's relational. That's part of the delight in the Lord, the relationship, the communion with God. Do you commune and delight in the Lord? If that is a no, nothing else matters. Because he is the greatest delight and superior satisfaction. Is God more valuable to you than the things around you? More valuable to you than getting what you think is best now? You will only seek to delight in something that you find valuable and supremely so. You will only wait. You will only wait patiently for something that you believe is valuable. And I pray that you would pray and plead that the Spirit would only increase your vision of the value and worth of God. Wait. The psalmist goes on, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And he says then that we are to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. For what? For David, the evildoers and wrongdoers might persist for a while, but God is worth the wait. From eternity past, God had a plan to free people from their sinfulness and free them to know his glory for all eternity. And the same is true for us. Many of us who are God's children here today, we became children at the expense of the Son sacrificing his life on the cross, and he rose from the dead and gave us the Spirit to guide us in this broken world. And he shows us that the circumstances don't need to control us anymore. If we know God, he is more powerful, more glorious, more wonderful. He's at work. He loves you. He loves me. Then we should live like it in this world. And what does it look like to live like it in this world? Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. 
fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. If we are to define the character of one who lives this way, I'd just go to verse 11, and David gives a word. You see that word? The meek. But the meek shall inherit the land. You know what meek means? It's power under control. It's, it's individuals who know who is in charge, and it's not them. Verse 11, does that sound similar to another Bible passage? Jesus and the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37, putting it in his Beatitudes, and the context is the meek. The meek are people who live in a land where there's evil and wrongdoing, and they recognize God's in control. I'm under his power and under his authority. And what he calls me to do, I do. And if he calls me not to do it, I won't do it because he's the authority. He's the power. Jesus lived this way and set all of us who trust in him to live this way as well in order to show his magnificent glory of love and grace, to urge even our enemies to repentance so that they too might be reconciled with God and have eternity with him. I really do genuinely believe that Satan wants us to fear and respond in fear because it's a very deceptive tactic. We, we, if you really ponder verse 8 of Psalm 37, do you really believe it? Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. I don't know about you, but in my own heart, I can think only evil? Like, I mean, you know, maybe sometimes it doesn't. I'm just being transparent with what I feel at times. But I can't listen to my feelings. I actually have to say, it tends only, only to evil. Fear is a very deceptive tactic to incapacitate Christians and to distract us from our mission. If we can act like the world and live in fear and anger, then the world won't see Jesus through us. Satan is happy for the world not to see Jesus. And we will get caught in all other kinds of sins. Revert to fear or anger, Satan wins. Treat sinful image bearers with contempt and they won't see the love and mercy of God through his children. And yet, and yet, Christian, we have hope and we have a promise. In Revelation, we're told, not Revelation, Romans, we're told the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, the church's feet. We have been set free from fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. Jesus 
was meek towards us, and for thousands of years he's been praised by generations, whether the societies were hostile to Christ or open to Christianity. Now God calls us to the same. As we look into 2024, savor the Savior, delight yourself in God, get back to the basics, trust and obey. There's no other way. God holds your hand. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are good, you are great, and you are kind. Oh, help us. Empower us, Father, to truly see your goodness and grace. We need you. We can't just look at these commands and say, we're going to try harder. We need your spirit to humble us, to, uh, to weave meekness within us so that we would trust you and rest in you. And Father, where our flesh wants to quickly answer and respond or react, I pray that you would settle us in the reality that our Father holds us. May we truly believe you and may we live like it. And I do pray that 2024 would not simply be a year where we fret less and are less angry, but that 2024 would be a year where your glory shines through your children and that even through Ventura, more people would be drawn to Christ through your working of grace through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.